Welcome to Peak Minds. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am thrilled for this week's episode with Kamal Ravikant. It is all about the process of how to truly love yourself. Please forgive me if this intro is a little uh, nasally. I've been uh, sick, but I was so excited about the episode that I wanted to get it out there. The episode was recorded with super crisp uh, audio, so if you want to fast forward, go for it. But in essence, it's an incredible conversation around how to truly embark on the mindset and practices to fully love yourself how to forgive yourself, how to forgive others, how to release the weights that we carry with us so as to be the fullest expression of ourselves. Kamal is an incredibly insightful uh, thought leader, teacher. His book has sold, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of copies. It went viral around the world. And he shares some really incredible insights. So without further ado, I am going to share an incredible conversation with Kamal right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Simply03. Simply03 is my go-to source for all things ozone. Ozone has radically changed my life. I had exposure to both Lyme disease as well as chronic mold in my home and did a deep dive into potential solutions and found ozone to be uh, miraculous. Uh, it has been a game changer in my life. I use the Simply O3 oils on my skin. I have a couple scars that I've been putting the oils on where I'm seeing the scars mitigated and it's amazing for healing. I also use their oxygen-assisted ozone device for both ear insufflation, so basically using kind of a stethoscope device that goes into my ears, which has helped heal uh, an ear challenge that I've had for over a year, as well as their oil bubbler, which enables you, you cannot breathe ozone um, into your lungs by itself. However, you can use olive oil as a medium uh, to enable the, the safe ingestion. And ozone is incredible for a variety of factors. It helps to strengthen your respiratory system. It helps to inactivate bacteria and viruses and fungi, parasites and yeast. It stimulates your immune system and basically hyper-oxygenates your system, which improves your circulatory system. There are reports that it can help improve brain function and memory. Uh, that it can reduce abnormal heart rhythms. Obviously, one has to be careful with claims, but do your research. Google ozone therapy, and it has been one of the biggest game changers in my life. So if you want to get started, I did an episode with the founder, Michael Lowe. You can check that out. I'll link it below. And if you want a discount, you can use simplyo3.com and code PEAKMIND. And it'll give you a nice fat discount at checkout. Again, that's Simply03 Peak Mind. This episode is also brought to you by one of my other new favorite companies, which is Leela Quantum, LeelaQ.com. Leela is incredible. I got introduced to them by looking at some of their dark field microscopy and the effects of EMF on our blood. We are now obviously all kind of in a mass experiment, which is 5G EMF is being unleashed on all of us, uh, whether we like it or not. 
and I have used Lila Q's incredible EMF protecting clothing as one of my great tools, especially uh, when flying. I, I put on the underwear, I wear the, the shirt, all of them are silver lined, the hat as well. Um, obviously, when we fly, we're 30,000 feet closer to a massive radiation source. But in addition, I've found um, that my sleep is disrupted uh, when I'm traveling and, you know, like I was just in New York City and I had no idea, but I wasn't sleeping well. And then I realized there was a massive 5G tower right next to me. Um, so the, the Lila Q is my go-to source for blocking EMFs. I have their clothing, and I also have what is incredible, their quantum block. I have both the travel size quantum block as well as the larger quantum block. I did a an episode with Philip that goes deep into the science. They've done double uh, blind controlled studies, um, but... It's been incredible, principally for mitigating against the risks of EMF radiation in my home. He also goes deep into quantum energy and the quantum field, which I'm fascinated by. I think most most notably by the research of quantum energy as it relates to water and some of the microscope testing that has been shown as it relates to the energetics of water. And we are obviously composed mostly of water, uh, but quantum energy is something incredible to look into. And I highly recommend you listen to the episode below. Uh, in the interest of time, what I'll say is do a deep dive into Leela Q's website, leelaq.com. And if you're interested, you can use the code PEAKMIND for 10% off your order. Again, that's leelaq.com, code PEAKMIND. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, you know, I feel like uh, it, patience is relevant to our topic of, of self-love. I, I feel like I have not always been patient, nor have I always uh, been the most loving of myself, but both are things I am working on. And yeah, you and I have been trying to make this happen now for months, but for Maybe a variety a of circumstances, it, it, it hasn't yet come, but I think now it's actually coming in the perfect time, which will which we'll go into during the course of our conversation. But um, for, for those listening, Kamal is, is a friend I met through a great mutual friend of ours, uh, Craig Clements. And, he, you know, you and I, from my perspective, have had some truly beautiful conversations. And I, I, I initially met you, actually, I don't know if you remember this, at Summit up in, uh, in Utah on top of the mountain when you gave a talk uh, and – inclusive of that in that talk was, you know, love yourself like your life depends on it. And, and I hadn't, I didn't read the book at that time, although I found the, the talk really compelling. And I, when I read the book, 
it became a catalyst for a huge journey that I'm still on. So I'm super grateful to be able to have you on the show and share your insights because I think it's a topic that is deeply resonant with uh, those listening. Dude, I'd love to hear your journey, actually. I'm curious. Well, of late, I'll, I'll share a little bit. So of late, you know, I, I've done a fair amount of of personal work. We're going to make this obviously about you, but I'll, I'll, because you're asking me, oh, I'll, I'd rather I'll, listen to you. But go for it. <laughs> because you're asking, I'll share. Because I also find that when we lead with authenticity and vulnerability, it, it oftentimes pr- uh, provides for a better conversation. Um, but but I actually, and I have not shared this with you because it's a newer um, it's a newer process. So my la- one of my last guests on the show was a gentleman named Stephanos Sifandos. And he, there's a guy who I will not mention his name out of uh, respect that I, to be honest, found to be a bit of a, a douchebag, for lack of a better term. I, the way he occurred to me was was not resonant, shall we say. And I noticed, because we, you know, I, I noticed his way of being changed in my eyes. And I was like, what's going on with this guy? And I knew that they were connected and I knew that he was working with a, a, a guy that specializes specifically for men on somatic work. So working deeply within the body uh, to uncover trauma and and to break through um, really deeply held uh, patterns and behaviors. And at the end of that conversation, I asked Stephanos for that gentleman's contact. Um, and I've been working with this gentleman um, through the body on some of my deepest, for lack of a better term, wounds and traumas. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is, is, this, is this notion of a vow or, or commitment, which I, I really mm-hmm. want to get into. But it's been really, really hard, you know, kind of like when you're on a fitness journey and you're, you know, you're just at the beginning and it's like, man, okay, I got I to gotta lose 30 pounds or what have you, you know, like it feels daunting, but it's also been... Uh, extremely rewarding. Like I, I've requit alcohol. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling. I'm doing. You know, f- I'm starting each day now with like you know a walk to Santa Monica Pier and back, which is like a four mile walk. And and I, yeah, I'm just you know simple simple things. But I'm doing uh, some some of the deep work, inclusive of which is actually. S- which is the harder part is setting boundaries with some of the toxic people in my life that I've previously been a people pleaser around. And that's actually probably been the most revolutionary um, because I think when we think about self-love, at least for me, a lot of times the critic, you know, Steve, uh, Stephen Pressfield talks about resistance in the creative process, mm-hmm. which I know is a prolific mm-hmm. writer. You've probably, you know, you know, you know about, and, and you likely know Stephen, Big but fan. Yeah, yeah, huge fan of his. He's been on the show several times. I love him. Um, but that notion of resistance shows up. And I, I'd love your I'd love your perspective on resistance as it relates to self-love. Um, I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on it. But for me, what's been interesting is, and what I love about Steven is he kind of brings, like you do, right? You have this sort of militaristic aspect, and yet you have an aspect that is oftentimes dismi- people dismiss self-love because they perceive it as soft, it's like this soft art or woo woo or fluffy. And, and I think especially as men, we can kind of therefore dismiss it yet. It is so needed and so essential. And what I love about Steven, what I love about you, if I can draw a comparison is you take topics that are traditionally potentially perceived in a way that could be seen as soft and bring a rigor to it. 
and even in its simplicity, when applied, it has absolutely profound results in, in my experience. So I'd love to actually start there and asking you how you think about the notion of that, that journey of self-love and wherein resistance shows itself how you stay committed to your path. Because obviously you wrote that book some years ago. I imagine it's a continuous journey. Um, but I'd, I'd love your insights around how to stay on the path of, of self-love. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, <clears throat> self-love isn't, uh, you know, taking bubble baths and long walks and looking at rainbows kind of thing. This is this whole thing and life, it's an inner game. You know, for me, self-love ended up being almost a Trojan horse to working on my inner self mm-hmm. and making that the number one priority because as within, so without. You know, we're, we're in this mind, you know, from the moment we're born to the moment we die, we're, regardless of how many people surround us, we're still alone in our head. And it's our head that we're stuck with the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, the heaven and hell is created within, often, right? In our lives, totally. so much of a, was a Mark Twain, I've, I've like... What is it like? I've suffered many things, and like a few of those actually ha- very happen or whatever. It's like most of it's like it's just all mental, right? Totally. And so for me, uh, self love was was not a thing I should think about. I, I was not that guy, you know. Like I, I've been in the military, I trained to be a literary fiction writer, you know, built tech companies in Silicon Valley. You know, there was nothing in there. If you look back at the biography of Kamal, I was like, "This is gonna, this guy's gonna go out to start writing about loving yourself." I would have mm-hmm. laughed my butt off at you, right? <laughs> and yeah, and and it's like literally, I had to hit rock bottom at a point, and to really, you know, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom to open ourselves up to what really we really need, rather than what we think we need. Mm. You know, to to truly be open with ourselves. Mm. I've had a few moments like that in life. You know, like one is being in a hospital bed and the surgeon telling me, you know, I'm going to die, possibly. Right? You have some very honest conversations with yourself in those moments. Hmm. Those moments, like in a way that you just you just never do. And I wish I could give people that gift to just that level of honesty and conversations with yourself, because those are the transformative conversations, and those are the ones that actually you apply. Right, those are the ones that transform your life. Yeah, they say. And what's, often, what's that saying? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but where you say like you got mm-hmm. ten thousand problems until you have a health challenge, and then you've got one, right? And it's you got like, one. It's yeah, the great yeah, clarifier. exactly. And it's such a true saying, man. It's mm-hmm. so true. When you, if your health's gone, nothing else matters. Yep. Right. And um, but yeah, so I had to hit rock bottom uh, of my own, and everyone's definition is different, and the circumstances to get them is different. But that's where I hit where I basically made a vow to myself and I wrote it down and I did not sit down to write a vow about loving myself. I literally was just trying to get out of this. I was trying to get out of this head I was stuck in. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to fix this head or I'm going to die trying. I cannot live in this head anymore. Mm. I just couldn't. I was too miserable. Right. And, but when I sat down to write, uh, to write this vow, what came out was a vow to love myself. And in the book, it's far more Better said because I the vow I wrote was nicer. You know, it's been a, it's been years since I wrote it. So, but I'm just the gist of it was like I just vowed that I was going to fiercely love myself in every single way I possibly could, every thought, every moment, every action. And I remember sitting back and looking at that vow, thinking, "What the hell did I just write?" Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for one thing, I'm a big believer in the power of personal commitment. You know, like really, like you want to get ahead in life, start making commitments to yourself and keeping them. 
mm-hmm. you're going to have a level of confidence in yourself. And when you have a level of confidence in yourself and you can trust yourself that, hey, I'm going to keep my word to myself, you make things happen and people around you can sense that about you and opportunities, people give you more opportunities. So, well, what's a higher than a commitment? A vow, you know, marriage vow. It's a, a vow is a sacred thing and a vow to oneself, I believe, is a, basically between you and life or you or whatever you believe in. It's like the ultimate contract. Mm-hmm. You know, you you made a, a real contract, and I don't. I'm like, you can't break it. So I sat there and looked at it like that because I written, I vowed to love myself. I had no idea where it came from, but it did, hmm. right? And then I had to sit around and figure out how to do it, because unlike the guy who wrote the book, I'm the guy who wrote the book. I did not set out to find books on it. <laughs> I did not. Set, I did not go listen to TED talks. I did not go start taking meditation retreats. I didn't do any of that. I was too miserable. One, a second. I, I usually used to stay away from a lot of self-help because I found too much of self-help was, I mean, there's exceptions. There's some great exceptions, but too much was just people, flowery statements made to make you feel good or to inspire you, motivate you. But my my rule is, look, you read this a month later. Are you better? If you're not, it was garbage. Yeah. I just feel that way. Okay. Like there's enough stuff out there you want to write you want to create stuff that is very very practical so in my head i didn't know anything that was practical so i just set out to do it myself and try to figure it out and it was me in my head you know one sample size of one and it was the only sample size that mattered so so that's what i did and eventually i it started to work whatever i was doing and if it worked i did more of it. if it didn't i threw it out i didn't care my vow was to fiercely do this or like basically literally like die trying because I was not going to stay in that head. Mm. And very quickly, within weeks and within a month, like my mind was completely different. My inside was completely different. And what was fascinating was, and you'll get it, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will, life started to be different. And yep. it's not like I was going out there changing things. It was like life, it's almost like, felt like life was like wavy and ripples and the ripples shifted and things just started to work. And the only thing I was working on was my head, was my insight. Mm. And that was like a major aha, like a transformative moment to realize, oh, the better I am inside, the better my life is outside. Rather than try to like just use my will or whatever determination to fix everything outside, go within first. Mm-hmm. And um, look, resistance was massive. I, you know, you're talking to a guy who really was very unhappy with himself, you know, could at moments hated himself, disliked himself, say the whole thing, right? So as I set out to love myself, I had to basically trick my mind into it and you know and how to do it. And so there was there was fierce resistance. But then again, if it was easy, if if it was easy, we would all be doing it. Same yep. thing with like, you know, if you've never worked out, no one ever taught you how to work out in your life and you've just been eating like a regular crappy diet. And then you start to work out. You're gonna, your body's going to fight it, your mind's going to fight it, you know, but you stick with it and you're going to get the results. So the resistance comes from the old patterns because you don't, your mind doesn't know any better. And your mind is a survival mechanism. Quite often the ego is a cigar. So anything new is a threat, right? Anything especially transformative new, so your mind will fight it, which I've actually learned is a signal. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, I'm on the right path. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, it's like you got to learn it. You get the same signal, but the me- you just shift the message around. So the resistance, oh, that's good because I'm on the right path. If I was, if there was no resistance, then I'd still be sitting around hating myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
so <clears throat> so the resistance actually became almost like a marker that I was on the right path. Mm. And the resistance gets less and less. But here's the thing. Um, I always like to use this analogy. Like, look, doing any inner work like that is is like going to the gym, building your body, you know, crafting your body, getting in great shape. But then let's say you get there. You're all proud of yourself, say, I got this. And then you spend the next year sitting in front of the TV, watching I Love Lucy reruns and eating bonbons. What's your body going to be like? Mm-hmm. Right? It will show. Well, the mind is the same, except the mind is faster. Because yeah. you have all these, we have all these patterns from our lives, you know, from a childhood that run the, they've been running the show for so long, that if we don't keep on you know, working on the new patterns, the old ones will surface, especially when something goes sideways. Mm-hmm. We'll fall back in the old behaviors of coping or all behaviors of fear rather than the new behaviors that are coming out of this new filter of loving ourselves. So um, the resistance later on comes from actually laziness. Mm-hmm. Like every time I got lazy with the practice, the old patterns started to come, and that's what I call, that is resistance, right? But in the end, what overcame resistance for me was the fact that I made that vow. Mm-hmm. That sacred contract between me and life was way more important than anything than sell it inside or outside that would try to stop it. So beautifully said. So I'm a big said. believer in doing that. So beautifully said, my man. I feel like I feel like that's that that notion of of well, you, so much of what you shared, I think, is rich. I, I love that you started with the notion for me at least of building integrity and personal power, which proceeds exactly through what you said, right? Which is keeping your word to yourself, right? Like that. That there's no greater muscle that we build in our own sort of. Self confidence, self love, in my view, than 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 sticking by what 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 we say we're going to do and doing it, like in our and and starting within, right? Like, so to me, that that notion of of integrity is so integral to my own self belief, my own self, um, my, my the view that I hold of who I am. But I think beyond that, to keep it. Right. Like there's so many instances. And I love how you talk about the mindset of being aware in which when when the resistance comes and and treating it in a way like the gym. Right. Like, of course, you know, when you're when you're when you're waking up at 6 a.m., the last thing you want to do is go to the gym and lift heavy weights. But the more days you do it in a row and stick to that vow and that commitment, obviously, the more momentum and the better you feel and you start building not only the physical muscles, but I feel like the inner conviction muscles, the power to make other declarative commitments in other areas of life are sort of enhanced. And it, it's almost as if, at least in my experience, and I'd love your thoughts if this resonates with you, but it's, it's, it reminds me of the sort of that man in the arena quote and, and this notion of providence. Because for me, I can only recall, I've made promises, but I've only actually, at least out loud, only ever made one vow in my life. And I don't, I've never shared this story, but I, I wound up living in Sri Lanka. I, I may have shared that with you uh, at some point, but I studied with a seventh generation traditional healer and he had passed his tradition on from father to son and he did not have a son. And this tradi- tradition is on the brink of, of basically decline through colonialism and a lot of other practices, but it's a very, very special form of Ayurveda. That's a very rare form of knowledge. And for whatever reason, this man offered to teach me in this tradition. Uh, and we made a vow together. And I had no idea, mm-hmm. by the way, I'm, I was living in, you know, I'm, I'm from a kid from Chicago, literally the opposite side of the world of Sri Lanka. And yeah. How old I'm, were you? I was 19 years old. 
No kidding. 19 okay. years old. Wow. And without going into great detail, you know, if it's for me, even being there, it was a country amidst, it was when Sri Lanka was at civil war. So you have a, a pre- mm-hmm. predominantly Buddhist country yet amidst civil war. So you've got literally like, you know, sandbags and, and, you know, M sixties on almost every corner, guys with AKs everywhere. But what was potent and powerful about it was for me, you know, I had associated travel with fear, even though I love travel because I was jumped when I was a kid and by a gang in my first experience abroad. And what was wild was I confronted that fear and in a way built back a self-love by transcending it and confronting the things I feared the most and, and traveling as far from my reality as possible, literally going to the other side of the world. And that's actually where I met this man, uh, Bandu Vijay Surya was his name. And he offered to teach me, but to do so, we had to make a vow. And the vow was to something bigger than ourselves. I've never, I don't think I've ever talked yeah. about this publicly, but if we were able to be reunited and if I was able to come back, cause I spent about, I spent about six months with him. Uh, and, uh, basically we were to then pay uh, homage by paying our respects to the poor as well as to the gods. So we were to go to a, a famous place called Katragama, which is a sacred site for Buddhists, uh, Muslims, uh, Christians in, in the south of Sri Lanka and and give uh, our offerings, right? A puja ostensibly. And to make a long story short, when I made that vow, the degree to which I took it seriously is like it wasn't even a question. You know, like I had no idea I was going to come back, by the way, like I was 19 years old. It's not like I had a bunch of money or anything like that. But long and short of it was I wound up applying for every grant I could find, uh, thought I had totally blown the application and and wound up getting back not only once, uh, but but a second time on a Fulbright scholarship and spent a year uh, in this man's tutelage. And the the only way I could even have, have had the self-confidence to apply for it was because I had made a vow to something yeah. that was bigger than yeah. myself. Now, of course, yeah. now I recognize also it was the greatest gift I could give to myself. But I so relate to this notion of, and I think this, at least my understanding as a central concept of, of both the book but also what I really want the listeners to get is like – Yes, there's commitment, and I think a lot of people break their commitments to themselves, including myself, on multiple occasions. Not saying infallible by any means, but but then there's the vow, and the vow to me is like, do or die. I will do whatever it takes. And there's such a power, and providence does come in to support you. I feel like when you make that vow. So I'd love to hear like when you made that vow to yourself. What did you notice? What did you notice happening in you and around you as a result of that vow? Oh, when I made the vow to myself. You know what's interesting is a vow does not mean perfection mm-hmm. in, in execution, right? We're human beings. Never do we have perfection in execution of anything, mm-hmm. right? A vow means you're just all in. Yeah. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to screw up knowing you're screwing up, but you're going to get up and you're going to move forward towards accomplishing that vow, toward keeping that vow. Yeah. Like when I joined the U.S. Army, an 18-year-old kid, uh, you know, they take you and you have to swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America, an oath, mm. right? Like there's something about the power of, of, of committing to something bigger than you. Mm. And the vow that I made in my journal 
it was to me, but as I put it down, it was to bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, come on, you're gonna let that down? I mean, you can't. So, like, honestly, if it wasn't for the vow, none, none of that, none of the following, what happened after would have happened. Yep. Because I would have given up. I didn't believe in loving myself. I didn't know how to do it. I would have, I, poop, I would have poo-pooed it. I would have gone for something like make myself better or do that, you know, like some something whatever that seems easier or more manageable than loving yourself. When you've never really known how to do it. No one's ever taught you. You know, everyone says go love yourself. Okay, great. How? Right. You know, like I mean, we all carrying like these these uh, these child. You know, like those of us. You know, like. We've been through like childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, we carry that with us, and that actually pulls the strings of of the adult. Mm. You know, running the, we're running like these fear based patterns, and they were survival patterns. So it's not like making it bad. They were survival patterns at one point in our life, but now they're still running the show. We're no longer in that in that space. Yeah, right. No one teaches us how to get get out of that uh, in a way, or no one teaches us how to love ourselves so that those are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that's what I had to do because I made the vow, and I did not do to write a book. I was going to write the great American novel. Mm-hmm. I trained to be a literary fiction writer. I was not going to write a <laughs> self help book. I swear to you, man, that was like the last thing I was going to write. Right, right. And I still like kind of cringe a little when people say he's a self help author. I'm like, no, like I'm a guy who does stuff. Yeah, who works hard on himself, and he shares the results. Yep, that's the way I look at it. Right. Um, that's the and, way I see you. Sorry, that's absolutely the way I see you. I mean, we've we've talked about such diverse topics, but that's actually to me why you're credible in the self help, right? Like, it's like, forgive this is a crass analogy, right? But like, someone calls himself a shaman. To me, they're all, all automatically almost discredited yeah. as a shaman. It's right, like the true shamans I know don't call themselves anything, nor do they yeah, need yeah, to, yeah. right? Because it's just who they're being. It's their beingness, and also the humility of that. That is sort of their medicine, for lack of a better term. Um, and what I like about the fact that you are an accidental author in a context, so to speak, I mean, obviously screaming. not accidental, but, but, but insofar as the category, as, as, you, as, yeah. as we refer yeah. to it, to me, it's even more credible because, yeah, like you, you're talking about, you're, you went in the army. I mean, you, have, you were in Silicon Valley. Like you, 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 you've approached things from such a myriad of different circumstances and, and and like you said, you've garnered certain tools, um, but you're sharing something. And, and I'd love for you to talk about that because the book, as I understand mm-hmm. it, in a way became almost like a – it kind of caught fire, right? Like it was like yeah. – it, it was more like I'm going to share something, which by the way – also, I want to acknowledge like the vulnerability coming from that place. Like I can, I can just share from my perspective, like even launching this podcast as a guy who had previously started Global Citizen Festival, it took me five years to even launch my first episode because I had such internal resistance wow. to be like, oh, dude, I can't go from a guy like hosting Beyonce on stage in Central Park to some dude in his living room talking to other people. Like that's like a massive step down, you know? And gratefully, like I finally got over that resistance. But but it's just but it is to say like I think we when we have these these different perspectives and in a way almost like we find our way and we're just sharing the the, the best insights because of those perspectives to me it's more resonant like if someone sets out and they're like I'm a self help you know like motivational speaker I'm almost like well it kind of loses credibility in my mind almost because I'm like, okay, well, what, what's the basis upon which that be, has become your identity? And for me, like the fact that you, that isn't your identity makes it 
somehow for me at least more credible. Uh, like I, I want to listen to it more because in a way there's there's a there's a vulnerability you likely had to walk, and I'd love if you share. I, I believe that part of the inception point was this was a two hour t- two or t- not two hour two minute talk to a, a group of executives that were probably not what you would call self a self help audience, and the and and this concept of of, of sharing kind of your notion of self love, like there's a vulnerability in that, and, and in my view actually a courage in that. Um, but I, I'd love to hear your perspective on how, given that you didn't set out to, to write a self-help book around the topic of self-love, how that actually emerged for you. That's that's a great question. You know, yeah, like I had to be talked into it and then they've been publishing it to be kicking and screaming. I thought it was going to be like the biggest laughing stock, right? I mean, here <laughs> I am, a Silicon Valley guy, whatever, I'm writing about a book about loving yourself. Um, <clears throat> but like... I uh, after I f- you know what I call I figured it out and I was applying it and it really caused all these shifts in my life. I was invited to something called uh, Renaissance Weekend, which is just like uh, happens a few times a year. I think the main one is in Charleston, uh, North Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina. I always mess it up, but Charleston over New Year's and it's always like it's a group. It's always like. S- CEOs, media executives, a lot of like uh, people from the Pentagon, you know, all this like high level people. Mm-hmm. They get together and you're on panels. The The rule there is everyone has to be part of, of, of speaking, either on a panel or you have to give a talk. There's no like, I come there in the 100% time, I'm in the audience only, which I really liked. Yeah. So I went there and they put me on this one. And rather than a, actually, instead of being on a panel, I had to give a talk. As a two-minute talk, you only given two minutes, and the and the title was, "If I could share one thing with the world," I was like, "Oh, okay, that's a small one." And I remember as I'd never really spoken on stage. Maybe I'd done a couple of times for like tech stuff, like entrepreneurship stuff, but that was also like a, as panels, never just one on one. And here I am. This is a legit audience. They're like, "Look, I was in the military a long time ago, and like the former head, you know, joint head of Joint Chiefs of Staff was there. Like, talk about being intimidated by the kind of people that are over there, right?" Uh, that eighteen of me was still like, "Oh my God, you know, stay attention," and like, <laughs> you know, um, and, and so I, I was coming up with all this clever stuff, all this kind of thing, and it just didn't feel right. Mm. And I was talking to a friend over there, and it just didn't feel right. She's like, well, just like figure out the scariest thing you can share, but that's real, mm. and go do that. Something like that. So I still hadn't figured out, and so I'm waiting to go on stage. And so it's a big, this was like one of the biggest ones of the massive, big audience. And like the, the person who went before me was a, was like the youngest steel fellow. You know, like people like that are just like very accomplished. I mean, this kid was more accomplished than all of us put together by 16, you know? Like, I mean, it's like, okay, I get it. And you know what? I was like, Excuse me, my language was like, fuck it. I'm going to share what like, really changed my life this year. So, I'm gonna, so I got on the phone, I, was, I got up on the podium, and I was like, they start the clock. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sh- if I could share one thing with the world, I'm going to share the secret to life. Mm. And there was like, some people laughed, and I said, and I just figured it out this summer. And, you know, and here it is. And I just told them about, uh, about loving myself, how I figured out how to love myself. Like literally, practically, in a way that changed everything for me. And I even said at one point, I looked at him. These dudes in like military uniforms, like you know, like the the generals or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know what? One thing I've learned: this whole thing, all of you, it's all a show. Mm-hmm. You all just ripples. When I start working my inside, all every, this whole show shifts, mm-hmm. and it starts to work for me. 
I just said it all. I just let and two minutes and boom, it was over. And you know what was crazy? I went off the stage. I thought, oh shit, they're gonna throw me out of this nut job out of here. Like like slink away. Yeah. I just you know, good thing no no. There was a line of people waiting to talk to me. Blew my mind. Very yeah. impressive people, right? And like. I was like, oh shit, what I, because it was a human thing. And these mm-hmm. are human beings I was talking to. Forget of the badges, the uniforms, the suits, the accomplishments. Underneath it all were human beings. Mm-hmm. And we all struggle with basically the same, the same basics, you know, no matter the accomplishments, right? They were human beings. And I, I had touched something there by sharing something very, very human. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where actually the, the birth of the book came from, mm-hmm. was through that talk. It, it's it's profound uh, what you I, and I love that you that it that the inception point in a way was in that in that context in that audience. There was something you said that that I love, and I, I want to sort of get back to the sort of what in you led to that fire, which obviously was recognized in this way as authentic and courageous by this group that probably wasn't your, your traditional self-help group, so to speak, you know, these, these heads of state and, and military, et cetera. And that is uh, to be a phoenix, you've got to burn. And I know that part of the catalyst, you know, they say that, that oftentimes pain is a greater change maker than, than, than pleasure. And, it, and it's, it, it's in, in the midst of, of our challenges that I think we're presented with an opportunity and how we face those challenges, of course, becomes our conviction and character. There's a, there's a man that I studied with that said something that I, I found that statement very beautiful and I found his statement very beautiful. And he said to me two things that I, that I carry to this day. He said that pain is the horse that beauty rides. Pain is the horse oh. that beauty rides. Mm. And he said to me, and this was during a particularly tough time in my life, and I know part of the catalyst, which I'd love for you to share, was some of the challenges you went through uh, in your own life. Um, but the other thing he said to me was that basically if, you're, if you are courageous, the shit in life can become the compost for new beginnings, right? Like basically we all, a lot of times we get mired in this shit and we, we identify with it, right? We become victims and it becomes our story and you, people live in it for the rest of their lives potentially, or for years. And it was huge for me at the time because I was going through a bit of a dark night of the soul. I had gone through a pretty intense breakup. I uh, had moved across the country. Girlfriend cheated on me. I didn't know anyone in that town. Um, she didn't come home. We shared, you know, I just moved in. So, Sorry, man. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. But, and I mean, this was years ago and I've done a lot of work on it, but it's just to share like I, so the beauty was though, that I wound up going through a transformational container, uh, a men's, a deep men's workshop, uh, which was involved a lot of very intense practices, but it was a bit of a process of individuation, uh, which led to a total sea change in my life. Uh, story for another day. Love to share it with you. But um, I'd but, love to hear it. Yeah, but what, which is to say that in that process, I did realize that that oftentimes these can become the seminal moments, right? That either kind of break us or become the great catalysts, right? In that like. What's that Japanese art where the cracks become the beauty, right? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where the gold, you put the gold in the in in the cracks and it becomes there's a recognition of the beauty in the cracks. And to me, no, that's yeah. It'll 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 come to me probably in like 30 minutes Mm -hmm. as we're finishing up. But but in essence, 
you, you know what I mean? It's it's that notion of the beauty in our in through and beyond our brokenness, for lack of a better term. And I feel like I know that there were some hard catalysts that led you to these insights to the degree that you're you're willing to share. I'd love I'm particularly interested in in some of the reconciliation and the journey or early days that that you had with your with your father and the and, and the walk you did uh, in Spain. Um, but I know also there was a breakup as part of your journey to whatever degree, because I think people can really find themselves and relate when we come from a place of like, you know, sharing some of the challenges we've gone through. And then eventually I'd love to get into some of the insights that you garnered that are that are practical tools that people can use to sort of build those to turn that shit, for lack of a better term, into, into compost for new growth. Wow, man. There's a lot to uh, unpack here. The thing about my father, like, look, um, you know, my dad was an abusive guy. My mom left my bro- with my brother and I when we were young, and he wasn't much part of my life until I finally was dying of, mm. of uh, bone cancer. And then I went and saw him a couple of times, and I was with him the night he died in the hospital. And he had asked me to take his ashes to the Ganges, which is the tradition of his ancestors. And it meant a lot to him. And at the time I'd seen him, I kind of laughed it off, you know, like, no, 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 let's not talk about it. But that night when he was in, lying in bed, when he was in the hospital, he was passing away. I told him, okay, I'm going to do it. I will do it. And then he passed away shortly after. He was hanging on. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And so <clears throat> a couple of weeks later, so a 25-year-old, I had just uh, been laid off from work. I had very little money. I think I had $3,000 to my name. Hmm. I went off to India with his ashes, and um, I was supposed to be gone for a few weeks. I came home eight months later. Wow. Right? I basically, something in me about. when I went to the Ganges, yeah, when I went to the Ganges, opened his ashes and watched them fly out, something in me just snapped. And mm-hmm. I was like, I can't go home. Like I'm, I can't. I just wandered, man. I just wandered. I went over India, Nepal. Then I had a a ticket to go through Europe to visit a buddy of mine in Italy. That's the way I arranged a ticket. So I went there, and through a series of events which involved massive amounts of alcohol. Keep in mind, I was 25. Uh, I ended up walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain, mm-hmm. which is an 11th century pilgrim route in Spain. And I think my budget was like two or three dollars a day. You know, I was living on like just apples and cheese and bread and sleeping in wheat fields and like ruined churches, just a backpack. And so I walked that pilgrimage of 550 miles. And what was fascinating was I'm, obviously I'm not like I wasn't religious. I wasn't looking to do a pilgrimage. It just, you know, there's a book about it called Rebirth that I wrote the novels based on the experience. And I met people along the way. And that's one of the things about these journeys. A pilgrimage is bigger than you. Mm. Again, it's not like I'm going backpacking through Thailand or whatever. A pilgrimage is something like this one. Millions of people have walked it over the centuries. You know, all for them, it meant something. For them, it was their God. You know, Mm. it was a Catholic pilgrimage. So it was bigger than them. So walking in their footsteps adds a level of humility. It makes you feel connected to a a part of humanity that's, that's beyond you, right? And I met these, and the kind of people who come to these kind of do these things aren't the average person. Or maybe it's the average person who went through something and is not going to go do this. So I met some incredible people, and they taught me so much at that time in my life to this 25-year-old kid, I think at 20, turned 26, about life and love and forgiveness. And that's actually where I was able to forgive my father, because eventually, at somewhere along the road, I realized it just hit me. He was a human being. Mm-hmm. 
when you start looking, stop looking at it as your father who should have been perfect or whatever, or someone who should have done perfectly, you realize he was a human being just as fucked up as his father before him, who probably, you know, and his grand and so forth. There's a, there's a line of, there was a line of maybe abuse coming down. He was a human being. And when you realize his humanity and his suffering and how he suffered when he died, you know, it just broke my heart. And it was, it was just forgiveness was, wasn't something you try. It just mm. happened. Mm. And there's something very powerful in realizing just they're human being. I'm a human being. I screw up. Mm. Am I supposed to be perfect? How can I hold others to that standard? Mm. You know? And so, and then his suffering, you know, like, and he's, he's suffered as a human being, you know? And, and so, I was able to forgive him and let that go. And it really opened up a lot of things inside me. It's funny, man, when you forgive, the weight you drop, mm. it's crazy. Just like you, there's, there's no way to like make someone understand until they drop the weight themselves. And it doesn't come from trying to forgive. It comes from understanding. Once you understand um, the humanity or you understand that you need to do this for yourself, once you start to understand the forgiveness comes easy and natural rather than trying to say, I must forgive, I must forgive, you know, it's like, it's, you, it's very hard to do it that way. Mm. So the understanding, let me forgive him. And that actually also led me on the path to be a writer. Because when I came back, I knew I had a story to tell. I had something very important to share and I had to share it. And, um, I've, and I grew up reading books, a massive both my brother and I, we lived in libraries as kids, you know, like massive readers. So I sat down to write it. And <clears throat> I, I, I thought I was going to write a short story. I'd written a short story or two in college and ended up spending six months in this house in upstate New York in the winter writing what ended up being the first draft of Rebirth. And I remember after I finished, I was just locked up, like living, I think then my budget was like $300 a month, mm. you know, just living on that and just like making my money just stretch out just so I could focus on writing. And when I finished, I remember going to a Borders. There were Borders then. Remember yeah, borders totally. Stores? I remember Borders, and, yeah. And they had these tables of like, you know, books. And I remember going and finally letting myself read something that I hadn't written and picked up and I was uh, Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. And I started reading it just out of curiosity. I was on the table, just picked it up and Never been into Hemingway because it's one of those things that force you to read in high school, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever they force you to read is not what you love. <laughs> exactly. And it up, and, right? And I read a paragraph there in that borders. I literally started crying because hmm. I just realized what real writing was. I just saw it in my face and I had just spent six months writing a steaming pile of shit. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh my God, this is what real writing is. But what Hemingway did for me was he gave me the destination. Mm. He showed me what true writing was. And so then it was a matter of I got obsessed with, with like learning the craft of writing. Because, look, if I have a story to tell, whatever art you choose, if you, have, if you feel like you have to do it, then you owe it to yourself to master. Well, no one will ever master it. Like Stephen Pressfield will talk about that. Mm -hmm. But to like give your all to the craft. Mm. You know, any great song, songwriter over time. You know, they, you can have an accidental hit in anything, but consistent hits. It yep. comes from craft. Yep. It doesn't come from talent alone, right? There's you. You gotta. You gotta work. You gotta like just obsess and work on your craft. It could be in anything, man. It could be as an entrepreneur, whatever. Whatever your craft is, you gotta. You gotta be kind of a little crazy, obsessive about it. And I did that for a decade and then moved to Silicon Valley building companies. And like while people be out on the weekends and nights, 
I'd be like with Hemingway and all the greats, underlining, mm. taking them apart, just to get figure out how a comma in the right place can make you feel a certain way. Mm. Right? Started joining writing groups, went to like Stanford, took a course there, like like just did all, and 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 it's just, just and once I felt I'd learned enough, I'd write another draft from scratch of the same book, and same book. After like the fourth or fifth draft, started sending agents, started collecting rejection letters. That eventually like start with the form letters to like by the ninth or tenth draft, I forget. They were like personal calls or whatever, and eventually, um, Hachette uh, bought it, and the head of Hachette Books. Uh, Mario DePreta, amazing guy, amazing editor. He asked, he told me he was going to edit it. Wow. Which was quite a, such an honor, right? Yes. And put that book out. But that journey, it was interesting. That journey led to my, gave me a story I felt I had to share. Mm. I had no choice. It's amazing when you feel that way about something in life, then you know you got to go all in, right? Yep. And that led me to the path of writing. But interesting enough, that path of writing and learning how to craft, how to write the craft of writing, how to write, like clean, clear prose, which is the hardest thing to do. The simplest prose is the hardest so that anyone can get it, but yet make someone feel with that, right? No, you don't force someone to feel. You don't tell them what to feel. You make them feel, mm. which is the hardest thing in art, right? And so, so I learned that. And so when I had wrote Love Yourself, which I never set out to do again, right? I had the craft. Yeah. I knew how to write what I had to share so simply, so true. And also, on the other hand, I had the startup training where it's all very practical. You're working with engineers. You write specs that are like books long, which is like every single detail is correct. Mm. You break everything down and how you need it to be done. So I took that mindset as well. And so like that's what made Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on it, not just like a well-crafted book. It made an incredibly practical book. Mm-hmm. And for the record, I still think I'm the only person who has ever written a manual on how to love yourself. Yeah. That actually works. Yep. It's an actual, I mean, it's a story, but it's also, there's a manual in it. A step-by-step, very simple manual. And it's all internal work. There's no bubble bats involved. You can take all the bubble bats you want. <laughs> but it's all just inner work that anyone can do. Right? No matter where you're in life. And I've had to fall back in, fall back to it. You know, eat my own dog food. You know, I've gone through some hard stuff. I've mm-hmm. ended up in a hospital in a very bad state, you know, hooked up to all these pain meds and just horrible. And having to like bet again on this because I know this works. Mm-hmm. And each time it works and each time I go deeper. And I kind of like, you know, the whole to be a phoenix, you got to burn. Um, so when I went through those hard times, you know, I worked hard and I came out and I really felt like I was better in many ways. And I really do think like, look, if you're going to play this game of life, there's going to be hard times, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, I don't think anyone gets out of that. The, the scenery and the details differ, but we all deal with our stuff. And when that happens, we can, this is our choice is who am I going to be? Eventually this will pass. Mm-hmm. Time, you know, time passes and so forth. Who am I going to be? And that's what you work on. Because when, when the storm passes, who is left on the other side is someone you want to be proud of. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's a great feeling when the storm passes and you're there standing there and you are way better than you ever were. Because mm. that's a gift you gave yourself. Yep. You're not broken. No. Nope. Right? Like, you didn't let this break you. It, you could have felt broken at times. You're allowed to that. We're human. We're allowed to feel broken. We're allowed to be broken. But we're not allowed to stay broken. Mm-hmm. That's our choice. You know, you take this and you make it 
like you 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 basically like forge yourself out of it. Mm. You know, hope like I don't want to keep going through the experiences. I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I don't yeah. want to keep doing like come on, falls down. I don't come need on, to so no, many more mountains. About yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, right. But I, but another thing I've learned is the more you do this work, if you do it consistently, like life just gets better. It's a, it's a matter of like, keep on it. Yeah. You know, I find when I get lazy, my life gets a little wonky. So, and, and just for full self preservation and just quality of life, I do it more. Well, I think, <laughs> you know, you, you, but I, you say underlies multiple parts, like as I'm listening, is, is when you talked about your father, you made a promise to him in that beautiful moment, which I had with my own father of, of holding his hand as he, wow. as he, as he crossed the gates. And that, that, that promise brought you on your, what I would call a walkabout, like this journey, which I just mm-hmm. did myself after my own, my, my father passed during COVID and, and I was gone for on my own journey for the last year and a half. And, but what's beautiful is I remember I, I'll just I'll share this because I think you'll appreciate it. Um, I had Please. interviewed years ago Laird Hamilton, of course, the legendary big wave surfer, mm-hmm. and you know I asked him about this wave that he had surfed in Chopu, which is a famously horrific break. You know, three feet basically up below the water is this razor edged reef, and he you know he surfs this monster big wave. Everyone thought he crashed and he gets spit out of the side. And it's a kind of wave where if you if you fall you you die. I mean, there's no. It's not like a you know. It's it's it, it, you got to be committed. And that's what he shared. And he shared he was because uh, it was interesting as I was as I was interviewing me. He, I asked him what was what was what enabled him to surf that wave, and he said basically the equivalent of your vow. He he was like I I committed one hundred and ten percent right. But what he shared with me during the course of that interview was that he was also at the time going through a challenge with his still current wife, Gabby Reese. And it was kind of an aha where I was like, oh, what was the quality that enabled you to get through that very challenging period in your in your marriage? And he said the same quality, which was total 110% commitment. And what I realized, what I'm what I'm what I'm garnering from what you shared is a similar uh, commitment, right? Like you committed to your dad, which led you to India. Your 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 journey then led you to this fire within that knew that in part of you, at least I'm guessing, uh, wanted to be a writer. I love that you share that what you wrote at first was kind of crap. And as someone who just oh, who spent it was a steaming pile of crap. <laughs> exactly, it was, was a shit. Crack. Oh my god! By the way, as I just cried spent in that bookstore three and a half years <laughs> writing a book proposal, which I now finally feel <laughs> I'm beyond the crap. I can uh, I can I can relate to, but but that same thing of like you're committing through that right, which then led you to this book. Which by the way, for those who don't know, like. Love Yourself became like a massive hit. Like, I, I didn't you start even, I think it was self-published and then a publisher wanted to pick it up, which is also like yeah. incredibly right. unusual. Like, you, you like, it, I don't know how many emails you got, but I'm guessing it's like in the tens of thousands. Like, guys, for those of you listening, like this, you got to get this book. It, it, it's, it does not take long to get through, but it's so rich. But like, it became, you know, so many people, again, the people who talk like this way, I, I kind of discount, but like uh, maybe a movement's too strong of a word, but it, be, it it got momentum, you know? It got what every author would 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 want, which is it picked up, uh, it picked up momentum and became, you know, this smash. And, and, and people, I'm guessing people still write you to this day about the book. 
Oh yeah, a lot. <laughs> exactly. A lot. Yeah. And, but now, with, especially with Instagram and everything, yeah, a lot. And in part, yeah. I, at least, I just want to—I just want to underlie because it—it's something that I'm really contending with in myself. As I now am, I, you know, I committed to finish my book by my birthday, which is August 30th. Just I, in my listening, one is that the the appreciation for the process. But like you know, there's that saying: "How you do anything is how you do everything." And what I'm realizing is, you know as you talked about integrity as we started the conversation and you talk about your journey with your father, which then segued into your journey with writing, what I'm noticing is, is, is how this commitment uh, moves through all aspects of that journey, whether it be your interpersonal dynamics, whether it be your professional dynamics. And I would imagine something that underlies um, your success. I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But obviously, I know you. I know you're a successful, uh, a successful human and a successful man. And I think for those listening, one of my great frustrations. I mean, you and I both, at least you, you, you at, at times. I know. I know. I know you share residences in other places. But one of my great frustrations with California, which I love dearly, is I feel like. Integrity of the word isn't the shining virtue of every <laughs> of everyone who lives here. I call it a very soft yes culture. By that I mean, you want to get together next Tuesday? Yes. What does that actually mean? Well, let me check my horoscope. Let me check traffic. <laughs> let me see if I That's get a better funny. option, and then maybe you know. It's really a, it, in other words, it's not a committed. It's not a committed culture, and I think unfortunately, like. Not to sit on a soapbox. I think that's becoming more and more pervasive um, around. You know, I see it that that is a that soft commitment culture is becoming more habitual for more people. And I just want to kind of like drive home that you have demonstrated uh, commitment, and it's really ringing true for me. And actually, something I'm gonna I, I hold dear as a as a core value. But like, I really want to. I want to. I really want to be mindful to my commitments, and what I love also is you say it's not about like you can't fail, right? Like it's not about being perfect. It's actually no, it's just about being committed no. through those processes, such yeah. such that you see yourself to the other side. Um, but I, but I'd love first of all, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you because what I'm hearing is across these interpersonal journeys and professional journeys, and is this is this consistency and and a relentless showing up, which I just want to acknowledge you for. But secondly, I'd love I'd love to the degree that you're willing to share. Um, and again, the book is in many ways this manual. Perhaps sharing some of the principles or practices. Um, you know, I know you talk about meditation. You talk about ritual that you have found to be um, central to that process of maintaining and building that muscle of self love. Sure. I mean, look. Overall, this is a Trojan horse mm. to the inner work, mm. which you know, like you talking about commitment. As I look back, the greatest. Things that have come in my life have come from committing to myself. Mm. It's a, not even committing to others because committing to others still comes from a different place. Committing to yourself is you. No, no one can bullshit. You can't bullshit your way out of Mm-mm. it. You can always bullshit your way out of commitments with others. You cannot bullshit with yours. I mean, if you can, you you will see it. Yeah. Right. And so the commitment to myself, I really like because it's a no bullshit zone, and you know it forces you to like. Be more honest with yourself, mm. but when you fail, but then you got to get up and you got to do it again. You know. Um, do you have a process before you jump in? Do you have a process for that? Because mm-hmm. I know what you talk about in the book. 
taking your mistakes and like writing out a list, which I thought was beautiful, right? Like of all the things you dislike or you put, you can put it in your own words, obviously, but, and and actually being present with that and then burning it and releasing it. And I, I I found that very uh, practical and also like Mm -hmm. in a way that ritual, I think enables uh, a turning of the page, both literally and figuratively into that conversation with self. But do you have a, do you have a process as it relates to a check-in with yourself around your commitments or, um, or, or any of well, these other processes? One of the things that really helps is how powerfully do you do it? Mm. Are you doing it as an aside, casually, powerfully? So the way I do it, but the way I have done it, um, and this, I mean, I've had a lot of readers reach out, told me this was transformative for them, was a little, the, mention, the exercise you mentioned that I did years ago that I came up with, randomly uh, for an ex-girlfriend was on on self-forgiveness, right? Mm. Because you really need to, the way I I think is before making a vow, if you have the time, you want to start from a clean place, not carrying all the baggage with Mm. you. So what I would do is I would, I like the ocean, you know, like if I was near the ocean, but you could literally do it with a toilet bowl, you know, water, you could do it with a lighter, whatever. It doesn't really, throw it to the wind, doesn't matter. I would get a notebook and I would just write down on it the, the sentence, I forgive myself for, and I write, I forgive myself for X. Then I write again, I forgive myself for Y. I would just do it, do it, do it until I was spent, mm. until it was nothing, until I was like sick. There's, I was reaching. I forgive myself for like drinking too much coffee this morning until like you're really just like you're done, right? Now you're getting into the stupid stuff. And then I would sit there and read it aloud to myself again and again mm. until I was just sick of it. Like out loud again, and you realize what you're carrying with you when it's your words written on paper and you're reading them out loud. You realize just the stupidity of it, of what, and you. But more important, you realize the weight mm. you're carrying. And we don't we don't think about it. But you're carrying weight. Oh yeah, right. And you want to you want to be you want to be the freest you can be. And this is weight that you don't need. And the <clears throat> so what you do is what I do is um, so I read until I'm sick of it. I'm like, I'm sick of the weight. I'm just done, mm. right? I crumple it up. I go out to the ocean, throw it in, put, you know, tie a rock around it, throw it in. It's gone, right? You can do it in an apartment in New York City, set it on fire, you know, then obviously put the fire out, throw it in the toilet bowl. It doesn't really matter. What's matter is you're letting it go. Mm. You're getting rid of it. You, you felt the weight. You're done. Now is when you go make your vow. Mm. Because now you, you've just like kind of cleared the deck, if you don't, if we just go blind, just walking back casually into life and doing a thing with no direction, that's, those seeds are going to, you know, there's still branches and vines you cut off, but like you leave it, we just go back right and those are going to grow again. Right. So give yourself a clear direction and that becomes your main focus. So for me, it was a vow to love myself. I, I keep on remaking that vow at times, mm. right? Um, it's not one and done. Right. So now it's a clear direction that wherever my thoughts go, I got to work in that filter. They got to go through that filter. And when they're not, I got to return to it. Mm. Right? So you give yourself a clear direction. The vow is a clear direction. You just cut down the vines and you're moving forward with clear purpose. And then when you, there's power in this. When you do it with this kind of power, mm-hmm. you can't help but stick to it. And then obviously every day what I, what I really recommend people doing is, you know, where you wrote that vow, you know, they come, pick it up like a couple of times a day. Mm. Uh, you know, I know it'll get lazy, but put it somewhere and then read it to yourself again mm. and read it and feel it. Feel the power of what, what you get did. And that's, you forget motivation, that'll drive you. 
Really, it's that yeah. simple. It's it's very human. You know, it's becoming your basically you're creating your identity mm-hmm. with this, right? You you have the clear purpose. This is your focus. You're doing it, and you do it until it becomes a part of you, and then. I would say continue it. You know, the mistake I made in the past is I just kind of let, let it go. What I've learned is do it again. Come, you know, like we keep, we pick up more garbage along the way and not all the vines are gone. You know, do it again when you feel the need for yeah. it. Or, you know, or especially when you're fighting it. When you're fighting is when you need the most. Yep. Right? Do it again. Do it. It's, it's purely for yourself. It's between yourself, for yourself. You don't have to tweet about it. You don't have to Instagram about it. You don't have to show it to anyone. This is just you. Yep. This is you clearing your deck, giving yourself clear purpose in a way that's going to transform you and transform your life. You know, I can't think of anything better you can do for yourself because everything comes from there. Totally agree. You know, I feel like that's if I like that you also said it is, you know, there is that process of either we're getting worse or we're getting better every day. And oftentimes when we're getting better, we get we can we have a tendency to get lazy. And so to continue to stay in the practice of it, you know, like. Um, if you're in the recovery movement, for example, continuing, you know, not getting mm-hmm. sort of yeah. lazy with your practices when you're feeling great in your sobriety, actually returning back to the support and knowing that that's building the muscle. I feel like it's so valuable. And I love that you're also drawing the distinction that it's you for you, not necessarily for anyone else. I feel like so much of our filter now becomes about yeah. other people and sharing and all of this. And I love that 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 the conversation is you for you it's a conversation of one which is arguably the most important conversation you can have but yet i don't think you know there was a a powerful and and it may have been i mean it was a bunch of this was doing research before our conversation but one of the things that got evoked is that you know there's this this notion i think of point of reference, right? And it's easy for a, for many of us, especially those who have sort of a people pleaser or a martyr, you know, contact. It's like, it's easy for me to advocate for someone else or to take a stand for someone else. Mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. A, absolutely at the consequence of myself, right? And I know this very poignantly because I just injured myself literally moving someone else's shit, uh, which was a metaphor for, 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 for me that I, was a beautiful learning That's lesson. Um, but... That that distinction of when you're of pausing and actually saying, okay, how would I talk to myself if this were someone I deeply loved and cared about, right? Like, because oftentimes, at least for myself, my frame is totally different in the way I think of myself and act towards myself versus someone I deeply love and care about, right? Like, you know, and, and for me, it's like if I think about my best friend or the, the person who I love the most on the planet and how I, how I want to treat them. It's oftentimes not the same as the way in which I reflect upon myself. But if I can actually have the moment of pause where I can say, well, hang on, if I was that person, right, how would I be treating myself, you know? And it's so different than the way that I have been treating myself, the critique, the constant. I would I would never do that if that was my best friend or if that was my lover, yet I do it to myself all the time. And so, like, somehow that, like, for me at least— that conversation with myself, that muscle of recognizing um, that that I would do something in a certain way towards someone I love, and therefore I should absolutely show the same degree of concern and consideration for myself, 
if I am actually committed to loving myself. And I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but I just feel like there is this pause where, wherein I'll totally, I'll show way up for other people, but I haven't always shown up for myself. And once I recognize that actually, if I want to commit to loving myself, I've got to show up in the same way that I would for those who I love out in the world. For me, that's been a real, it's been a real revelation. Yeah, you know, like cushions are very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one that, you know, it's part of the practice that I do. And it's so powerful. It's so simple. Um, it's it's this, you know, just during moments, because <clears throat> one has to make a habit of this because no one's going to naturally ask themselves this, but it's a very simple question. It starts with if. Mm-hmm. And the if is important because the mind can't say, but it's if, right? If I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? So this is a great one of making choices. For example, after this, I'm quite hungry. I haven't eaten today. I've been fasting. But I also haven't worked out today. And there's a part of me that would love to just eat and skip the workout. But the other part of me, I know when I ask myself this question, if I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? I'm going to go work out. And then I'm going to eat. Love it. That question puts it all in perspective because it's between you and you. Mm -hmm. And also it's not... Because I love myself, because the mind will say, well, you don't, or sometimes, but not right now, or, you know, or when I love myself, because then it puts in the future, or, the, or, you know, like you don't put in the future past, you just put it if in the moment. If I love myself truly and deeply, you know, truly and deeply, like full on, what would I do? Of course I would go work out. Yeah. You know, it's a great one, and it's very, very practical. Yes. It's it's one it's a great one to make as a practice. So even pause during the day and just ask yourself, what if you're just going for a walk, ask yourself that. So it becomes a habit. All these things we have to actually train our mind. Like I said, it's the inner work. It is. Right? And you're basically training this wild monkey inside your skull. And you know, that takes patience, that takes a lot of repetition. It does not happen naturally. You know, if it did none of you know, Maybe to some people it is, but like for other rest of us, we need to like learn and write books about it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, but that, but that, but that course. But if you that if statement, if then, you know, if is a very very powerful thing to do. Um, I highly recommend anyone who's listening just just implement that, and your life will be better. Yeah, that I'm, I'm writing that down actually because that 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 is an extraordinarily powerful one, and I want to be I want to be mindful about your workout. And your time, so I, I'm going to draw. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm enjoying this. Take I'm going to draw. I'm going to draw us, you know, towards close, move to, closer towards a conclusion. But one of the things that you just evoked that I that I think I would love to get clarity on for those listening is in that process. Say, you know, that there's a moment where you know, if you were to love yourself, you would go work out. You know, there are moments where, you know, instead you you crush a bag of Cheetos, you know, you get a bad phone call and you crush a bag yep. of Cheetos and, and, and you go down a self-loathing or whatever. Uh, you watch television. So in the moment, and that, that's, a, that's a small thing, but there are much bigger instances of where we get, let's call it off track at the very least. Um, but, but as it relates to the topic of forgiveness of self, and as it relates to the the context of forgiveness of others, which you which you evoked a bit in your in your discussion earlier, which I loved, one of the key distinctions was that notion of humanity, and seeing the humanity, for example, in your father. Um, that that's very powerful for me because I'm doing some deep forgiveness work myself right now. Um, are there other ways in which you feel people can come to the power of forgiveness 
of self when they get off track. Remember, none of this requires perfection. Mm. You know, there's times when I'll ask, ask myself that question, and I'll still do what I shouldn't mm. do. But you know what? You start to develop an honesty with mm. yourself. And eventually, as human beings, we all naturally want to be better. And sooner or later, you're going to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do the, do the thing I should, that if I love myself, I would mm-hmm. do. There's no perfection here. No. It's just commitment and doing it. Yeah. And you will naturally rise. That's we're, we're designed for it. We're designed to rise to be better. We just have to give ourselves the practices that that guide us there. That's it. Like there's no, so the, there's no need to even sit around and try to forgive yourself for messing up there. Just be honest with yourself. And of course, asking this yourself, and you choose not to do it, you're just being honest with yourself. You're not doing it on autopilot. Mm. And eventually, you'll get tired of that person who's doing it. Uh, you know, who's not doing it because you keep asking yourself a question, you'll want to be that person who loves himself truly and deeply and takes those actions. Mm. So the forgiveness for that, for that, I don't think self-forgiveness even matters. Self-forgiveness is more, I think just the crud we pick up at living yeah. life, all the crud the mind picks up and the, whatever we do. In fact, a lot of things we need, if I told you I had to forgive myself for this, you'd laugh at me. You know, it's just our own thing, yeah. right? Like we just, we give us, we add a lot more weight than we need to, to things. But so it's just for that. What about, what about um, with other people? Giving a, right? Like, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, well. And let me, I'll, yeah, I'll clarify yeah. that question. So one of the things that I think about is, and I talk about, for example, in, in, the, in the book I'm writing is this notion of batteries and black holes, right? Like, so there are people, at least in my life that I've realized Whenever I'm around them, they charge me up, you know, like whether it be intellectually, mm. emotionally. Like, I know you, you draw the distinction of feeling and using your feelings as a thermostat. Like whenever I've, I've been with you, for example, uh, at Craig's place, I, I've had nothing but positive experience with you. Like to, 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 to me, neutral. you're a battery yeah. in my life, right? Like and so I and, – and also, right, like you're an accomplished author. Like I'm not saying that that's why I hang out with you. It's just to say like – I feel like you are you are aligned to the life that I want to live, right? And what I think a lot of people have in their lives, uh, and I have had in my life, are black holes. People that sort of drag you down energetically, perhaps. And mm-hmm. not, again, not from not to come from a place of a victim mentality, but perhaps uh, call out our own sense of self loathing or the voices within us that are not the most self loving, so to speak. Um, how do you think about, because of course, and I love that this is a conversation one of one, but also as we are in the world and we are, you know, in, 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 in the multitude of inputs that are, that are seeking to, you know, take our time and attention. How do you think about maintaining this practice granted imperfectly as it relates to mm-hmm. the self-love that comes from perhaps effective boundaries or a context whereby you're, you're, you're limiting your, the way in which other inputs, and sometimes those are people, drag you down, for lack of a better term. If you have someone in your life that you feel is really, truly, energetically a black hole in terms of they're toxic or they make you feel a certain way, do you have any thoughts around how to be self-loving in the context of relationship or any distinctions around how to know whether someone in your life you want to continue to double down on or perhaps not, not say you have to cut them out, but you want to expand and actually think about you know having relationships with other people because you've become more loving of yourself and they're no longer a reflection of your journey. 
Yeah, you know, <clears throat> honestly, loving yourself results in better boundaries. Mm. You don't need to go out to set them. The more you think highly of yourself in a way that you want the best for yourself, you're going to immediately start. If you want the best for yourself, there are choices you're going to mm-hmm. have to make. You yeah. know, if I love myself, what would I do? And like, you know, and you start, you know, what I've gotten to, and I've gotten pretty strict about this, but, you know, like after all that I went through, I realized like nothing is worth my time. No one is worth my time if they're not good yeah. for me. I just, they just, I just disappear from their yep. life. I don't yeah. care. I do not owe anyone an explanation. I know the values of the man I am, the values I live, right? So I don't need any excuses, explanation, apologies. I just, I just yeah. live. And I am no qualms about dropping someone mm-hmm. from my life. Zero. If they're not like, if they're bad for me, they're yeah. gone. You know, and because, you know, the, the, the older you get, the more you go through, the more you realize, oh, my God, all oh, that was time wasted. <laughs> totally. Like, I'd rather, be home, I'd rather be home alone reading a book with my yes. dog than being with someone that I, I know is not good for yeah. me. Really, my dog, I mean, really, like, that's kind of my filter now. Would I give up time with my dog and a good book Beautiful for this? filter. You know, and it, right, it's a great filter. And, and, um, and you know what? And as you like, you you drop those, you you open space yeah. for like others to come in who actually do add to yes. your life, you know. And um, I think that's a really important thing to learn. It's always like that you you find that people in the elderly, mm. they just don't you know they don't they don't care anymore. They'll say whatever's on their mind. They'll just want they'll tell you to screw off. It's like why don't we do this yes. earlier? Our lives would be why do you have to wait? You know, like with that long because you realize the world goes on. People's lives don't fall apart. You know, your life doesn't fall apart. There's a great thing, uh, Oprah, um, she talked about how she led, the most important thing she ever learned to say was no. Mm. And the first time she was a people pleaser, right? And especially once she made it big, people would show up to her house just saying like, look, I just left my husband, I need some money. And she's like, well, I had it. So, you know, she said, but don't worry, don't come now because I figured it out. I learned how to say no. And she said the first time she said no, she thought the world will fall apart and the person would hate it. The person's like, okay, that's cool. See you later. And she realized, okay, that was for yeah. me. Right. Um, and that's a very important thing to lesson to learn in life is to say mm-hmm. no, to know what doesn't serve us. And it's harder when you're people pleaser because I've been that way yeah. myself. You know, obviously, like I have a few, very few close people that I will, that can, that can cross boundaries. You know, it's just, you, that's a right they've earned or family, whatever. That's a, that's a right you got to yes. earn. I used to give people yep. that right by, by proxy of just coming into my life. That is such a big mistake yeah. I made. I used to give the right in relationships, you know, to, to no, you got to earn the right to be across that boundary. If not, I'll be very clear about my boundaries, and that's a boundary. And if you're not respecting it, well, look, I'm going to go read, my, read a book yep. with my dog. You know, like we're t- I wouldn't even tell him. I'll just disappear. Beautifully said. Like, and I don't care. And it's beautiful. The world doesn't fall apart. Their lives go on. Your lives go on. And all is good. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've realized as I'm aging a bit here is, uh, you know, true wealth in life, at least for me, is health. Like we we started this conversation. You know, there's no greater Mm -hmm. wealth than your health. And and for me, if your good fortune uh, brings great people in your life, it's the people you get to to share that with. But the, the, like you said, the inner work. 
you know, and our friend Neil Strauss shares this notion of sort of our inner inner and outer game. But like as as we focus on our inner world, the external world shifts accordingly, right? Like the two are dramatically yeah. interdependent and interrelated. And I think just to take a moment to acknowledge you, Kamal, I think you've written a, a very accessible book, but beyond a book, you've created a context for a conversation that people can have with themselves to liberate themselves from the weight that we so often carry through our lives. And there's a, there's a movie De Niro did, I think it was called The Mission, where he, he was Oh, what a great movie. The soundtrack was was amazing. And he's carrying. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For those who haven't, say he's he's walking through this hot tropical jungle and he's repenting for his sin and he's carrying a bag with armor. So like, I don't know, hundreds of pounds of dead weight. And so many of us, myself included, have walked through life with that kind of dead weight. Uh, that we carry. And it keeps us from our potential, from our possibility, and from the love that we all deserve within ourselves and to share as a beacon of, lo- of love with, with others. And, and I think the, the deeper we go on that journey, I notice the more that other people that are aligned and the kind of people I want in my life show up. And I, you know, I'm not, it's not lost on me that you, you as a, as a now newer, but, but I would consider good friend have shown up. And I just want to acknowledge you because I think you have put that light out there in the world that people can utilize to see and then shed that unnecessary weight that they carry through their life. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's like, you know, after I turned in the final draft of Love Yourself, Like Life, Life Depends on It to Harper One, uh, which was in, I think, September 2019, I turned the, because it came out in January 2020, was when I went into the hospital for this elective surgery and they messed up really badly. I basically died and all this massive shit show that happened afterwards. Lost two years of my life. But I remember like dying and, you know, like bleeding to death, spraying blood everywhere and dying and, Realize, and I woke up the next, woke up, you know, they, they had a team, surgical team that saved my, you know, they came in and stopped it, right? It saved me. And, and, um, I'm waking up and in the hospital, you know, in, in a really messed up state, uh, it was severe trauma and, and thinking, you know, I almost left this planet, but I get, I, I've, I, uh, shipped mm. the book. I gave mm. the book. To the publisher, the publisher was already committed. They already read the contract. It was coming out. the The presses were like, you know, ready. And so the book would have come out, and that would have been my gift yeah. to the world. And I knew that if I had gone, and that was the gift I left behind, I was fine with it because I would have left behind something that the world is better because yes. I was here. That's it, you know. And it's purely between me and yep. and life, right? I wasn't. It was just the world. If we can do that. In our own way, it can be anything. You don't have to write a book or be on social media or anything. You know, it's just in a community or whatever. In fact, the best people I know, a lot of the best people I know are not on social media, not anywhere. No one calls themselves an alpha male. They're just doing stuff in That's the community, it. changing lives, just or being an example. You know, like whatever you do, it's you know if you exit, when you exit, your time comes to exit, you know that. Whatever the show was, it was slightly better because you That's were it. there. That's a that that 
gave me mm. peace knowing that. Yeah, it's who you're. It's who you're being. You know, I think societally we have this notion. Yes. We have this notion that yes. oh, if, if I do a certain thing, then I'll have a certain thing, and then I'll be happy, which is actually ass backwards. It's like it's who we're being, and from that level of being, that everything proceeds and. Your journey and yeah. who you were being led to this, what I would call an offering. And what I love about what you just shared, and it's an inspiration for me as I hone in on my offering, um, is it's a reflection of your beingness and an, an authentic expression of that beingness. And to me, those are the most beautiful offerings, right? Because it's not a construct of your head and like what you think something needs to be, it's a natural outgrowth of who you are. You know, I'll say with my father, for example, who I love dearly, you know, he wasn't on social media. He didn't write a book, but the way he showed up when he would, you know, kids or dog, like your dog saw my, you know, they light up because it was just his presence. You know, the way he walked through the world was his offering. And, and I, and I feel like, you know, for those listening, I just feel like everyone's got their own unique song, you know, and and it's it's mm-hmm. I feel like it's our job to figure out which notes don't belong, which notes are are crowding, you know, that are making our signal noisy, so that we can we can sing our own unique song. And to me, what you talk about through your work, through this book, and 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 who you are is a beacon to help people sing their unique song. So uh, that's my own my own expression, but I but I'm but I'm grateful for you, my man, and I'm grateful for your offering. Thank you. It's mutual, man. Thank you. So Kamal Ravikant, um, go get the book. Uh, I mean, you've written several, um, but where can people find you? Um, You you know, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then there's a new social network coming out called AirChat, which uh, Naval Ravikant and Brian Norgard put together, and they're trying to make us one which is actually true conversations. It's about you know like really communicating with each other rather than just going for the likes. Uh, you'll find me a lot there as it comes out of closed beta because it's about conversations with people. Um, I really enjoyed it. That's AirChat, but it's it's in closed beta right now. But you'll hear about it. Come find me there. Any one of these, yep. you know, and. Or Google, the Googles, or as Chat Chat GPT. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also you're one of the few people I know actually go buy his book. He's got his email in there, and he actually answers his email. Um, I don't know if I, I don't yes, know if I'm supposed true. to shout you out like that, but another no, t- another test. I, uh, I love connecting yeah. with readers. Well, man, thank it. you for taking the time. I, you know, I'm often fall behind. Time? Oh, dude. I sometimes fall behind, but I, I always get back Bro, to you. Bro, I, I don't you know, know that many people that get tens of thousands of emails that take the time to respond to all of them. So even if you take a little time, I think it's uh, it's appreciated. And for those of you that you get the book, which I highly recommend you do, uh, you know, if you take a little time to say a little thank you, I feel like um, I, I am grateful for you and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, my man. Dude, it was great. Thank you Pleasure. so much. Pleasure. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I I know that I did. I got a a ton of value, especially around the process of forgiveness, which I am embarking on, both forgiving myself and a couple of others that have played a role in my life that I need to release. So I hope you found value. And thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of this community. If there's people you think would benefit from the message, 
mean the world to me if you shared the podcast with them. If it resonated and you can take a couple seconds to leave a rating and review, that's always super helpful because it helps me get great guests. And if you apply the, uh, the tools and the message uh, from Kamal, there's really no greater gift. So I hope you guys got a ton of value. I'm committed to going really hard here in the coming year and bringing you great guests, adding great value. And I'd never take your time for granted. Thank you for, for spending your time listening to the episode, sending you so much love, so much gratitude and to, to your journey, my friends.